You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Hello to all, middle of the week, end of the month, June 21st. It's just a rainy, kind of dreary day in Alabama. But this show will be neither of those. Welcome in. It's Big Noon Sports, longtime and decorated author, sports writer, Lars Anderson. I'm Matt Coulter. It's a longtime veteran broadcaster, if you will. Just looking over some of the things. This is what we call, Lars, you walk into the newsroom, the sports office, and you just say, okay, we got to have a feature story. You know, <laughs> where do you go? Uh, there's nothing really earth-shattering happening in the world of sports uh, except for a transfer. Now, this is interesting. It's a transfer in high school, but it's ma- it made the ESPN top eight. So it's above the fold, Lars. It's above What's the fold. What's going on? It's above the fold. We went through that last week. We did. But uh, Dylan For Rayola, the- yeah. Give, give me more information. He's going to Buford High School. Yes, um, and for those who don't know, who didn't hear it last week, above the fold is uh, an old newspaper term that uh, when you received your newspaper, it was folded in half. And if it was above the fold, that meant that it was a very important news story. And if it's below the fold, it's kind of secondary. So above the fold means it's it's more important than others as deemed by the editors of that particular paper. Anyway, so now when somebody says above the fold, it's basically uh, old guys Delete. like Matt and I, Matt yeah. and I saying, saying that it's an important story. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, Dylan Rayola, who I've been following for a long time because his dad uh, played at Nebraska. He was, a, he was a center at Nebraska and really one of the best ever. He He's probably just below Dave Remington as in terms of uh, the best centers that, that Nebraska has ever produced. And his name's Dominic Rayola. He has a son uh, named Dylan. And the two of uh, the, the Rayolas have lived out in, uh, in the Phoenix area. And Dylan has emerged. Uh, and, and it feels like for now, like five years or so, people have have sort of tapped him as the as the golden child and and the one uh, the one player from the class of 2024 who is sort of stands out above the rest and uh, and he is right now the number one overall player in ESPN uh, the top 300 of their 2024 but but so much of these rankings are are based on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's sort of based on what others are saying, based on who gives him an offer and who doesn't. It's inexact. We know that, that these rankings are inexact. But I do think that you do need to pay attention to him because uh, I used to be rather dubious, to put it mildly, about recruiting rankings. But sure enough, uh, team recru- recruiting rankings – if, uh, if you did the math on where a team ended up in the final recruiting rankings, whether of ESPN or the composite 24-7, I think 24-7 does a probably a little bit better job than ESPN, but 
if you look at the composite rankings and then look three years ahead, sure enough, there is a absolute correlation between having a high recruiting class ranking and finishing in the top four, top five in the country. So now that being said, uh, Dylan Rayola has been the talk of, uh, of the class of 2024. And he um, he's six foot three, two twenty. Uh, he, he's nimble. He's got a huge arm, and uh, like I said, he's 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 from the the Phoenix area area, and he's already transferred uh, from Chandler High School in Arizona to Pinnacle High School after last season. But then the Arizona Interscholastic Association, the AIA, uh, they kind of stepped in and, and they could have handed down a five-game suspension to Rayola because of the transfer policy in Arizona in uh, for public schools. And so uh, they didn't, the Rayolas decided, well, let's not take a chance on being suspended five games. Let's uh, just move across the country to Georgia (laughs) since he's already committed to Georgia. Rayola originally committed to Ohio State. He decommitted. Then he flirted with Nebraska, uh, uh, played footsie with Nebraska for a while, went to a basketball game, uh, and the crowd just went crazy in Lincoln. It looked like he was going to be the savior of the Husker program, but uh, gave the Huskers the Heisman and signed with Kirby Smart. And he's really like the sort of the, the, the marquee player in the class of 2024 for Kirby Smart. And now he is uh, moving out to Georgia. And, uh, and it, it looks like, you know, he's probably going to maintain that number one player uh, in the ESP, ESPN 300. And he's going to be the first Georgia player with that label, the number one, since Justin Fields in 2018. But the bigger issue that I have is just why kids are transferring so much in high school. And what does that do to your, not your physical development, not talking about that at all, but your social development. And this is a critical time in every young person's life when, Matt, you're learning life skills. You're learning how to interact in an appropriate way with your peers. You're learning how to deal with success. You're learning how to deal with failure you're learning that you're learning certain coping mechanisms, right? To try to, to, to fit in in different groups. And you're learning that, hey, when something doesn't go your way, you can't just go off and pout. You know, there, there's so many things that you are learning at this time. And when you're hopscotching around the country, I don't know if that's necessarily in Again, I'm just talking socially and social development, and 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 I and I don't think this gets discussed enough. But I I I don't know if it's necessarily in his best interest to go to Buford. I'm assuming that his both of his parents aren't moving with him. I don't know about that. Um, uh, and he's going to a, a great program. I mean, they already uh, Buford has a couple of five stars on their team and will probably win the state title with Rayola as the quarterback. But do you uh, 
have the same sort of concerns that I do, or am I just overplaying this? And it might be because you know what project I'm currently working on. I can't really discuss it, but it's about a, a, a big time quarterback who never did develop those social skills in high school. And that would come back to really haunt him later. And, uh, and, and you see it too, just with, with other players who don't end up succeeding at the highest level because their life skills, Matt, weren't developed when they were developing themselves as young people. You remember when you were younger or <clears throat> your daughters are about to go through it too. Of course, they could enter any beauty contest and win it. But do you remember, uh, <clears throat> and there have been unfortunate stories about this too, about parents that would push their daughter into all these beauty contests over and over and over again. They'd make them up when they were five years old to look like they were 25. And I, I never thought that that was really good for the child. Now, that was a lot younger but I think sometimes you can push your children too fast. But there's something that tells me about this family that they're really, they're dedicated to the future of yes. Dylan. They are yes. absolutely dedicated. And, and here's the one thing that stood out, and I think we're all reading the same ESPN article, that jumped out at me is, okay, they're committed. No, they're more than committed. You know who, he, you know who his dad, Dominic, reached out to? Who's Tua Tunga Viola's dad, yeah, <laughs> and and yeah. then Bryce Young's dad, uh, because you know they were faced with similar decisions, and I think Tua's family moved to Alabaster they for did. Tulia's, yeah, a future yeah. at Thompson, who's now at Maryland, yeah. so, and they wanted they wanted to be close to Tua to provide the family yep. support, and uh, worked out um, okay for him, didn't it? It Lars? did. It did. <laughs> It did, it, it, but yes, that, 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 it, that's almost a cultural thing with Tua, though, right? Just to have that really huge family, and and uh, in, in, uh, in in around him, and I think it was smart for Dominique uh, Rayola uh, to to call and, and reach out to to Bryce's dad, uh, and and to Tua's dad because obviously. For Bryce, he he is a California kid, and he's flying across the country, uh, moving to Tuscaloosa, and, and 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 trust me, when you don't, when you aren't from the South, and you come here for the first time, it feels like you're on a different planet. It is uh, that is that is the culture shock that you experience, and I mean I love it here. I love it here. This is my home now. This is where I'm raising my children. I uh, wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but it's it's difficult to make this the transition. Uh, I mean, for me from New York, but uh, I can't imagine being 18 and having all these huge expectations on you, uh, and uh, and then you know not have family around. Uh, and so I, I think it worked out well for Tua. Uh, I know that the Youngs, uh, they made an effort to get to Tuscaloosa to as many games as possible. Maybe they got to, to all of them because uh, they were definitely around. But um, I, I think just my, my bigger question is not necessarily with this, this move out to, uh, out to Georgia for uh, Dylan Rayola. It's just uh, the uh, growing trend, it seems to me, 
of kids in high school hopscotching from school to school looking for the sort of the best uh, playing situation, right? Rather than just sticking it out at where you are in high school and, uh, and you know, again, developing and cultivating those life skills that you often won't get if you don't have really any good friends, you know, I don't know. It's I, I, a tough may, move for a kid that's 16, 17 years old. You're leaving girlfriends, is. you're leaving your buddies, you're leaving your running backs. You're leaving and, everything you know. And like you said, if you're moving to the South, you're moving to a totally different country in many ways. And um, I want to ask you about moving to the South. We'll do a little cultural dive on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Mad Coulter, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Back in a bit. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Terrible clouds this afternoon. Scattered showers are going to be possible today. The storms will diminish this evening. They'll be gone after midnight. Otherwise, mostly cloudy with a low of 66. And then for tomorrow, mix of clouds and some sunshine. Scattered afternoon and evening showers and storms again with a high of 82. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 81 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Day, Wednesday, middle of the week. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, Hello to Sepp, Tide 100.9, who is uh, running the show. Literally. Appreciate that. Uh, started the show talking about uh, Dylan Rayola, who's going to not just transfer. <laughs> He's not in the portal. He, it's, what is he, in the high school portal? Is there such a thing? <laughs> how, how much does NIL play in here? Uh, do, do they, does somebody pay for his family to move to Buford? Which, by the way, if you're curious, as I always am, Buford is like an hour, maybe more, northeast of Atlanta. And, you know, Atlanta always seems to be the focal port for the for the uh, state of Georgia. But that's where he'll be. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to mention uh, just before we went to the break is I'm very curious as to the high school rules for transferring are in Arizona. And he's moving to a different state to avoid that. He, he was, I guess, potentially going to have to sit out like five games. Well, he wants to play. Did that force the issue, Lars, or would this have happened without that? Uh, I believe it forced the issue. 
um, because he the, the thought of missing half of the season, uh, you know, when you're sitting on the bench, you're not going to be developing. So uh, I, I don't think he they wanted to take the chance of him missing half the season. So that meant either. Uh, I, I actually, I mean, I, I'm just speculating. It probably Me meant that he had to, that he had to transfer out of state uh, because he had already gone from one school to the other, and uh, it was taking a while to sort of get that hearing of of uh, of, of what was going to ultimately be the number of games he would miss. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, their hands may have been tied a little bit. How much communication, if at all, do you think the, the family had with the Georgia staff? Was Georgia, uh, did they have influences where he ended up? I mean, he's not going to transfer to Georgia and play at a 1A with all respect to the smaller schools. But he's, he's transferring to the Georgia of Georgia, if you will, in high school. Uh, yeah, Buford, and then there's uh, I another guess one. In, in, in there's a county down in South Georgia that's uh, very prominent year after year winning state titles. But uh, I don't think it's any accident. I, I, I think that their family communicated with Kirby. You think yeah, Kirby suggested absolutely. to go to Buford? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, I think uh, according to the Georgia High School State Athletic Association, uh, for a player to be academically or sorry, athletically eligible immediately after a transfer, right? The player must make a bona fide move and prove it. Well, <laughs> clearly, uh, this is going to be a bona fide move because he's moving across the country. It's not like he's just his parents are getting an apartment in the school district next to the one where he was previously attending school. Um, and uh, there also must, uh, according to the GHSA bylaws, also must not be evidence of undue influence from the program to which the player is transferring. So uh, it's all on the up and up. I mean, I'm sure Kirby did say, hey, go to I'm sure he gave some advice on where to go. And uh, he's certainly uh, going to one of the top programs in Georgia, a program that's loaded with talent. As mentioned, they have two five stars on the roster. Um, and I, I would assume that one family member would be moving with him, probably maybe his mom. I, I, I really don't I don't know enough of the story uh, to to answer you know exactly what it's going to look like for him but uh again i'm assuming that uh at least one family member will be moving with him well and you also have to consider the cost of this uh i don't think georgia can supplement this move but i would think and this again is me only my thoughts that uh i'm thinking his family's probably pretty well to do if they can make a move like this yeah, and I don't know if the entire family is moving with him. That's that's a question I'm sure we'll find out when we get their their street address <laughs> and we drive by it 15 times. See how many how many cars are in the driveway? So we'll see. But Lars, I wanted to ask you about because you brought up how different it is for someone of another region in the United States to move to the South, and and I, and I'll preface this by saying Lars is a Lincoln, Nebraska kid. Uh, that's where he grew up, went to high school. Then you went to Minnesota to St. Olaf. Is that correct? Yes. 
And uh, from there, you moved to New York City to get your master's at Columbia. Am I? Am I? Yeah, I'm in the right on. direction here. Yeah, you are. And then the you direction. lived in New York City in Manhattan for 15 years, something like uh, that. Right about there. Yep. yep. Okay. Gee, I'm, I'm gonna write a book on you. I know. You got uh, it all. <laughs> but when you moved to the South, and I, I think the first thing you would notice is the South's culture for football. I mean, it's evident on every road sign, bumper sticker, and license plate you see in the South. So yes. we're going to set that aside. We yeah. know how important that is. Other than that, Lars, when you literally moved to Birmingham, Alabama, what were your expectations of the South? You know, I, one, I did not know uh, the topography of the Birmingham area and how beautiful it was and how this is really uh, the last foothills, uh, this chain of mountains here, Red Mountain. Uh, it's like the, the last foothills of the Appalachia Mountains, I believe. Correct. And uh, just again, how how pretty the city was. And, um, and uh, then I was struck by, <laughs> this is gonna be weird, but there's no sidewalks here. Uh, and also struck I by... I actually have never thought about it. <laughs> There's no sidewalks <laughs> anywhere. Golly. Well, because wow. I... Because, I've been cheated all my life and I didn't know it. <laughs> well, New York is such a walking culture. You know, I didn't have a car for any of the time I lived there. Uh, and uh, you'd just walk to the subway or take a, a cab or an Uber um, and you just get around that way. And, but I would walk from my apartment on West 89th and Central Park West down uh, through Central Park South to uh, 50th and Avenue of the Americas, which is the Time and Life building. And that's where my office was. And so when I first started at SI, I needed to be in the office almost every day. I got very lucky. I was on the 19th, we were on the 18th and 19th floors of the Time and Life building. And they gave me my own office that had a window that overlooked the marquee of uh, Radio City Music Hall. And uh, there'd be a lot of times when bands uh, would just give free concerts on top of the marquee. Of the mar of the, I remember Foo Fighters playing up there, and uh, the Chili Peppers, and uh, it just uh, they would just get up there and start jamming, and we would have a, a great view of it. But anyway, the the larger point used to walk everywhere, and then moved here, and it's like wow, there's really no walking spaces anywhere uh, on sidewalks, or there's no sidewalks. So uh, there was that, and then. Um, just the amount of food that people ate was really <laughs> staggering to me. Or? Fried food, just everything. And I remember my ex-wife telling me, and she was uh, uh, an editor at Southern Living, after one of her first lunches, she just was like in shock at how much these uh, colleagues of hers uh, put down at lunch. Because, <laughs> like, we're just, you know, used to eating salads or whatever. Uh, it, it, it's just the little things, right? And and then I was blown away by the quality of the golf. I, I've said, I've told my friends many times, like, I don't think I would have made it here through the first year and a half, two years, if the golf wasn't so good. Because I, because I worked at home 
and uh, wasn't in an office and I was traveling basically every weekend for college football and NASCAR that uh, didn't have a lot of time to, to build friendships here in Birmingham. And so I spent a lot of time just by myself on the golf course and uh, on different golf courses. I played a lot out at uh, Robert Trent Jones, Oxford, uh, uh, Oxford Valley. Let me interrupt real quick. Uh, What's the first course you played here? Do you remember? Uh, Oak Mountain. Wow. (laughs) I think that's, you know, nine out of ten people say that. Uh, Really? Yeah. yeah, and I've and I, played out there recently. With my and I, and I love, I love Oak Mountain. I, I love, too. I love that course. It's, it's, it's affordable, and uh, it's, it's, uh, you can score low there. And if you're, and I, I like to walk, and it's a pretty flat course. But like, if True. you go out to Oxmoor Valley, right, you, you really get a workout in if you're going to be walking it. Um, but then, you know, I, I started meeting people. Started, I met like golf buddies. And uh, and I met a lot of people on the course, frankly, and they, they became very good friends. But um, yeah, just uh, the, the move was uh, it was challenging at, at first, and uh, but you know, meeting people like yourself, uh, Carrie Estes, and and uh, you know, so many others, um, just made it easy, and it made it start to feel like home. Like after I was here for, like I said, about a year and a half, there was no way I wanted to move back to New York, right? I loved having space, having a house, having a car, having a, like, it felt like I had a real life again. Uh, And I had forgotten what real life was like when I was in Manhattan, because that is not real life. That is just, uh, it's an aberration. Like nobody lives the way people do in, in Manhattan, right? Had a, just a tiny little fifth floor walk-up apartment in a brownstone that was about 420 square feet. And the owners of it put a wall in the middle and they called it a one bedroom. And, uh, and that's where uh, uh, Sarah, my, my, my ex-wife, uh, that's where we lived. And uh, that's actually where we were when 9-11 happened. And went up to the top of our brownstone and, and watched the watched the buildings uh, on fire oh, there. Mm. Yeah, but um, uh, hate to end this segment on that note, but it, it really, like, I love Alabama, and it, it has been home to me. The people here have been so good to me, and uh, especially the people at the University of Alabama. And uh, written two books on Saban. I don't think I can get any more out of that. I don't think I don't think Saban needs me to write a third book on him. But hey, you never know. You ever seen how many books written about Paul William Bryant? Yeah, uh, it's uh, cottage industry. Four hundred and fifty square feet, Lars. That's a southern porch. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Roger Schultz is coming up next. But as we go to break, let me ask: you, What's the one food that is indigenous to the South that you still can't eat? Oh, uh, fried catfish. Catfish in general. Wow. I think I just hate it. I absolutely (laughs) hate it. Well, you know, as long as you're eating your grits and your collards, we're going to be okay with that, all right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Hey, uh, one of my all-time favorite people and uh, a very close friend of mine and uh, people from Alabama just love this center. Roger Schultz, this is a blast, folks. He's as entertaining as it gets, and that's coming up on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. 
From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz and Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. Alabama Credit Union with the official countdown to Alabama Crimson Tide football right here on the game, alabamacu.com. The mobile app saves a lot of time. The mobile deposits, checking, savings, mortgage, home equity loan, financing a vehicle, the great competitive rates, Alabama Credit Union with great branches all over West Alabama and throughout the state of Alabama, Alabama Credit Union, alabamacu.com. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson and our special guest. And uh, this really is, he's a special guy on every possible platform. Roger Schultz, former uh, Alabama center. I believe he started every single game of his eligibility except for one. I may get into that. But, uh, hey, hey, Roger. How are you, man? Hey, yeah, yeah. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm always, I'm real sensitive to that one game I missed. Stallings benched you, or, or he punished no, you, or something. What no, happened? no, not Stallings. No, Curry. Eighty nine. Oh, okay. That explains. I went to it. I went to go spend the summer. You know, I spent three or four summers already in Tuscaloosa, and I went to go spend some time with my grandfather and uh, in Nebraska. And I guess I kind of said, uh, "The hell with working out," or what? I kind of blew burned out. And, I came in back out of shape, and uh, so I had to I had to pay the price. So that's all right. I mean, but I got to spend time with my grandfather, and he actually uh, he had passed away during training camp of that year. So it was a uh, it was well worth it. Time I got to spend with him. You know, my yeah. partner Lars Anderson is from Nebraska. Where did your grandfather live in Nebraska? At Crete, Nebraska. Ah, so that's they, just yeah, that's just outside of Lincoln, where I'm from, and you'll see trucks. That say Crete Carriers on it. It starts in Crete, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had a, uh, I had a, uh, a cousin of mine that was married to a guy that had a strip club in Lincoln. Yeah, all <laughs> right. Great. I probably yeah, know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 may yeah. have a mutual friend, Roger. <laughs> yeah. uh, based on Louisville, Kentucky, we don't need to go down that road. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, for those that don't know, I discovered and and made Roger Schultz what he is today, the the media favorite, the media darling. I want to tell this quick story. Uh, he was uh, requested for interviews as they used to do at Bryant Hall, and everybody would meet in that courtyard and we'd interview Gary Hollingsworth. But uh, I saw this guy in the middle of August come walking out the door, big fella, a smile from one end of Bryant Hall to the other. And um, he had on some big old cargo-looking shorts. And, like, Lars, what would you – a Mexican poncho with the hood and everything, that real yep. thick, coarse material. And it's August. And I said, i got to find out who this guy is. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to – I had a – it was uh, it was hospital scrubs that were cut off. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, and that poncho that I got from the uh, Sun Bowl. So, that 100%. I mean, you just, hey, you dress kind of light during, uh, you know, yeah. fall training. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, I said we got to interview this guy, and then he was on my interview list for, what, three and a half straight years? Um, yeah, what was and, inter- yeah, what was interesting is Gary Hollingsworth would come out there, and everybody would set up their cameras and their microphones, and he got to sit down and do, you know, 15 minutes. I had to do one individual interview with all you guys for about two and a half hours. You know, I had to go from one place to another. Which was, you know, that was fun. I enjoyed it. I gave everybody something different. I tried. Yeah, you really did. You remember the time Hollingsworth was sitting there, and you're right. He he had his own little table and everything, and all the cameras would, you know, it was like he was the coach. That's how many people would be filming and interviewing him. But um, somebody in the second or third floor of Bryant Hall decided it'd be funny to put their speakers up in the window. You remember that? <laughs> I think it was Billy Whitehill. I think Billy really? Whitehill was the one that did that. Yeah. Because I think first he started playing some kind of music, and then I think he started playing fart sounds. And it, they were so loud, and Hollingsworth, who couldn't keep, he couldn't keep a straight face at a poker game. But uh, he started laughing. Um, but that was, I could go down this road for a long, long time, Roger. But um, I want to ask it, you real it quick. It was not me, though. It was not me. No, well, cause, that's because you were right beside me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were waiting was, to interview I think it was you. Billy Whitehill. Yeah, it was Billy was Whitehill. Was it? Oh, yeah, 100%. You and I could go down this road for for the rest of the day and then some. Uh, I'm gonna turn it over, to Lars. Let him uh, ask you a couple of questions, but I do want you to uh, everybody to to know what you're doing, how your family is, because uh, you are one of Alabama's most popular football players ever. Well, you're kind, and that's because of you and everybody. But no, doing great. You know, living in Mobile, still been married once and still married to her, so she's. <laughs> God bless her. She's made it too. And I got a son that, uh, you know, he signed with Troy and then he got the portal and now he's out some junior college out in Kansas, still playing football, you know, trying to see what happens next. So he just, you know, throwing, throwing punches. Something Tell everybody his nickname. Hash mark. <laughs> hash mark. Because, <laughs> you know, I spent all my time at a hash mark. You know, everybody's like, why is he hash mark? One is I used to do radio and stuff and I didn't really want to put his name out there, you know, and all that. So I always called it hash mark, and it kind of stuck. And it was funny because some people would be out. Like I don't, I didn't just, you know, I wasn't around the house calling hash mark. You know, I just did it on radio, and of course, he never listened to any anything I'm on, you know, because I was, you know, I'm his dad. Your dad. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, so 
people will start yelling hash mark and i go hey they're talking to you and they go what hash mark what is that and i had to explain to it because he was as big as a little hash mark you know back then too so but, <laughs> i love that long time I love ago that. yeah um so in doing a little uh reading about you uh roger that uh you drove in college a old maverick that was spray painted is that correct spray paint your number yeah yeah that's one yeah zuga my roommate zuga had gotten a uh we had a buddy of ours give us you know i zuga had a uh an el camino that was souped up and then he wanted another car he didn't want to drive that el camino all the time so we had somebody, he had a friend, a family that had like a 74. I, uh, what the, was that car? Uh, Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. The Maverick. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It was a Maverick. And, uh, yeah, like a, like a 73, 74 Maverick. And yeah, we definitely, uh, it was baby blue. So we painted it, spray painted it. And what was funny about it, so we kept the windows down so we didn't get paint on the windows, but we were spray painted red with our numbers on the side of the door. Like Zuko was 53. So he was on the driver's side. I was on the passenger side. But we kept the windows down, and I went on a date that night, and I had white pants on, and that dust was all, you know, that red dust, so my pants turned pink because of that. That's not very, yeah, I should have probably cleaned it up, but, but it was, yeah, so we had that car, and uh, I always teased, I got hit by a drunk driver, and I thought they thought it was a bullseye, so they just kind of hit me, with that number on that red car, but it was, uh. Yeah, they that were, was they, one they ugly vehicle. How about... Man, all, that all, thing was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, a favorite memory from on the field? Uh, and and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you played with Jay Barker, correct? Uh, Jay, Jay was uh, part of our show for quite a while. And uh, uh, just do you have any good Jay Barker stories? Well, it, well, it's funny. So Jay was a... I guess Jay was a freshman when I was a senior. So we never actually played in a game together but i do tell people i play with jay barker because it always gives me credibility um <laughs> you know but what's funny was i'm a pretty kind of outspoken guy kind of I, I mean i don't hold my tongue or whatever and i'll just I'll, I'll, I'll never forget whenever like jay's dad and jay were around and i'd be talking and like jay's sister was around he always would move me <laughs> you know, no telling what I was saying. And, and Jay said, would always, I think his name was Jerome, you know, and he'd always just kind of move me away. I thought, why does your dad always walk when I start talking? You know, from your sister. Because one, he doesn't want you to be with my sister. Secondly, you're probably going to say something that's going to offend her. You know, and I said, well, you're probably right. But but, uh, but no, but uh, Jay, I mean, Jay was always a, a good guy, good teammate, obviously, did a a you know, good job led the team to the national championship in 92 but uh but i can remember i, I might have been the one that showed him out i mean taking him out on his recruiting business if i'm not mistaken but and he still I turned out okay i know he still came to alabama yeah <laughs> well because see i grew up in so i grew up in center point which is right next to hewitt trussell and he actually we, we actually played in the same little league park uh and he had, i think he ended up going to uh, trustful later, but we were at one point in time. He was like on the six-year-old team, and I was on the ten-year-old team. We were in the same park together, and they actually they named the field of me in center point. You know, Roger Schultz Field. And I go, well, why didn't you name it Jay Barker? Like it's like the first thing I ever got over Jay Barker. Rising, Jay Barker, and they're like, well, because he left, you stayed. And I go, you're right. The hell with Jay Barker. He's got nothing. To say about Jay. So, uh. 
So that was uh, I always thought that was funny. So if you go to the Little League Field in Center Point, Alabama, it's Roger Schultz Field. So. <laughs> and is, uh, is it not true that back then you were a running back? No, not back then. Not I in thought Little you were League. Thunder was, and Lightning. Yes, in junior high. So we moved to Texas, and so we went. So we moved to Texas to this small little farming community called Wharton, Texas, which is fifty miles southwest of Houston. But it's a farming community. And what was interesting is, so like those kids did play little league football. Like the first time they ever got to play like contact football was junior high. Well, you know, I'd played six years of football already. I can remember the coach, my dad. I said, "Tell him I was a running back, Dad. I want to play running back." <laughs> and so they put me at tackle. That they didn't buy the running back thing. They put me at tackle, and I was playing linebacker. But what ended up happening is about halfway through the season. We weren't doing anything, so they put me at fullback. It's just basically because I was probably one of the biggest guys, and I played before. I wasn't scared to hit anybody, and and so basically it was just a dive to me, and I just ran straight ahead, you know, and nobody could tackle me and things. But we ended. The, but when I go to the eighth grade, so the Thunder and Lightning thing is because Lamar Latham was Lightning, who ended up being a first round draft pick by the Houston Oilers. He ended up going to Houston playing college football and then he went to he was drafted by the Houston Oilers. so we were thunder and lightning he was the lightning and I was thunder but the only time I had a breakaway run it was like me and a safety I can remember this and I thought just run around the guy was scared to death I could see he was scared to death but instead of either running to the right or left I tried to run over him and I tripped and so my longest I don't I, I think all my I think my longest touchdown run was like you know seven inches I think it was it. So. But, it's, yeah, I didn't have a lot of breakaway speed. But it was you know, fun. And then, yeah, then I moved to Atlanta. And, uh, he moved me right back to the offensive line. So, <laughs> um, Roger, not many uh, former Alabama players can say that they started for three different head coaches. I don't know if anybody in the history of Alabama can say that. I'd have to do some research on that. You, you may hold that unique distinction. But um, who, who did you enjoy playing for the most? Ray Perkins, Bill Curry, Gene Stallings? Well, it's interesting because I like them all for different reasons. Obviously, I love Coach Perkins because he gave me an opportunity to be a part of the Alabama fan. He saw something in me. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot, but, I mean, it was my dream to play for Alabama. I never really thought it would happen because, I mean, I was in 10th grade and my coach goes, you keep working, you'll have a chance to play at Furman. I went, Furman? My God, I don't want to play at Furman. You know, I was like, I want to. And so, I mean, I love Coach Perkins for that. And, of course, he left right after. I mean, he wasn't here very long. I wasn't with him very long. And then Coach Curry came in. And, I mean, he's he's unique. He was a former center. And it was good to have him as a head coach. He was kind of probably ahead of his time. He was more about delegating authority to coordinators, which they probably do a little more now than, you know, head coaches aren't really as hands-on anymore. But. Uh, but Coach Stallings holds a special place in my heart because he was he's just a great guy. And we, you know, it was funny, so I was so scared. I could never really talk in front of him. I was scared to death of him. And then as time has gone on, you know, he's a great uh, – we built a great relationship and friendship. So, And, uh, you know, he's just a good guy. I mean, just, I really enjoy being around Coach Stallings. He's as fine a man as you're ever going to want to meet. Hey, uh, Roger. As you know the drill, will you stay through the break and answer a few more questions? Uh, we'll tell some more stories. Yep. Sure, if you want me to, I can do it. All, All right. right. Roger Schultz is our guest on Big Noon Sports.
covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Terrible clouds this afternoon. Scattered showers become more possible today from 81. The storms will diminish this evening. They'll be gone after midnight. Otherwise, mostly cloudy with a low of 66. And then for tomorrow, mix of clouds and some sunshine. Scattered afternoon and evening showers and storms again with a high of 82. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson. Our special guest is Roger Schultz. Reminder that this program in its entirety, all two hours, are presented by Haley Sansing of Union Home Mortgage. Roger, quick football question for you because you played under three different head coaches. You obviously had different offensive coordinators, but one will always stand out, and that's Homer Smith. God rest his soul. What an interesting man and did he bring a different offense to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or what? Well, absolutely, did. I mean, he brought the West Coast offense, which we, you know, used fullback, tight end, something nobody really ever used. And you know, he, I mean, we had, you know, at the end of the day, until these last few offenses that have come in after Kiffin, I mean, it was a pretty productive offense. You know, it was interesting because you know all these all these hurry up offenses and stuff now talk about getting, you know, eighty plays in. You know, we had a couple two or three games in 89 where we had over 90 plays. I mean, I think one game we had 88, one game we had 93, and and we were just running the West Coast offense, you know. And uh, But it's it's funny because I, I saw, like, you know, Malzahn thinks he invented the spread offense. Or, you know, he thinks he's a, some kind of genius. And I'll never forget I, I was sitting down with him in a golf tournament, and I said, you know, we ran the first no-huddle hurry-up offense and. uh in 89 against the old Miss. And he's like, well, you told, I, you know, he's, I invented uh, no huddle, whatever. I would know you did. But, you know, because we always go, you know, I always never, I never understood why we'd run a two minute offense like with two minutes to go and we'd always score. And I go, I wonder why we don't run the two minute offense like in the middle of the game. But you remember when we played old Miss in 89, we were down 21 to nothing about halfway yep. through the first quarter. You know, we'd had a couple turnovers. So we went two by two, one back, basically it's just spread offense and no huddle. And, Man, by halftime it was we scored fifty three points. It was ugly. I was like, why don't we do this all the time? I mean, the defense didn't even rush. It was the greatest thing. I mean, they were just so tired. It was, it, and I always thought, why don't we do that? You know. But um, uh, yeah, that, and that was Homer Smith. He said, let's go two by two, and man, it was Katie bar the door. There we go. I, and it was uh, it was pretty ambitious. So I always tell I always tell I was in the first spread game, even though it's not true. But 
<laughs> That's funny. Um, Roger, back in 2008, you decided to go on the uh, NBC show, <laughs> the, the Biggest Loser. Uh, I don't really care for that title, but uh, it's just yeah. basic. Yeah, it, you you ended up losing 164 pounds. You make it to the finals, uh, and it, you end up getting uh, beat by uh, Allie Vincent from Arizona, who became the first female winner in the show's history. Uh, and she walked away with two hundred fifty thousand in prize money. Uh, I'm sure you did. You took note of that. But uh, what, just tell us about that experience and, and why you decided to uh, pursue that going on that show. Well, it's funny. Obviously, I gained. I obviously gained a lot of weight since I got through playing. And I, I always thought to myself, you know, I'd lay in bed, and go, God, if I could just get away for a couple months and just focus in on, I know I can lose weight. You know, I just, I just could never do it in real life. And so I saw that show and I thought, wow, that ought to be. And I remember watching like the first couple episodes and they were all really fat, you know, and I'm like, oh my, I'm not watching this. I don't want to watch fat people work out. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of clicked in towards the end and you saw the transformation of these people and you're like, holy mackerel, I can do that. I know I can do that. And, you know, I auditioned for the show. I auditioned a couple of times before I got cast for the show and, and like you said, you know, you talk about hey, the you know the biggest lose. That was one of the biggest. That was one of my hangups. It's like, God, I hate the name because I don't want to be known as the biggest loser because I play football in Alabama. Ain't nothing losing about us, <laughs> you know. And uh, but I learned to accept it as a you know it was a good thing because obviously it meant a whole lot to my life, but it, you know. And and you know I'm still I mean I'm still a hundred pounds down from where I started, and you know I'm about two I'm about two fifty five right now, so I'm. I'm hanging in. That's pretty good weight. And uh, did you know? I, did the exposure? Did the exposure you got from that show uh, just help you in a professional sense? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, it helped because you know I got to do a lot of speaking engagements, and I spent a couple years. I, I didn't have a job, you know, because Jacksonville State fired me, but because I went away for so long. But at the end of the day, I spent a couple years going around the country and doing public, you know, speaking and talking about weight loss and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I enjoyed doing that part of it. And, I mean, it was, it's kind of neat. It's kind of a it's a different story because because people will know me. It's it's funny. I'll go people, people more people know me because of the Biggest Loser than Alabama football. That's that's the crazy. Not in the state of Alabama, but if I go out somewhere, you know. And it used to, obviously it used to be when it was fresh, I'd get recognized more so than obviously now because it's been fifteen years. But I can remember being in California, being at like Disney World these Australians, it came up to me, and this was literally like five years after the show, right? And these Australians come up and go, oh, you're Roger, you look so good. I'm like, what the hell? I said, how do you know about, I said, well, how do you know about me? And they go, so at that time, they were airing our show in Australia. They, it, So it was like, it was current, you know, but even though it was five years, and it was the craziest thing, and I've got people That's that great. went to Germany, and the show had played in Germany, and you know, and I get you get these Facebook things from. It's kind of funny. I can always tell when it's playing in a country. I'll end up getting Facebook requests from, you know, these weird places. You know, <laughs> so, but it's kind of. But it was a, it was a great experience. You know, I got you, know, you get to kind of see how TV works a little bit, and we benefited from the fact because the writers were on strike. You know, they kind of extended our show. It was supposed to be an hour show, but they extended it two hours, extended the season a little bit longer to fill in for that the writers that were on strike so it kind of that kind of helped a little bit as far as our season being recognizable roger 
I would love to get a Schultz take on NIL and what would be the first two people that would pay Roger <laughs> businesses? Well, obviously, Sammy's uh, would be. <laughs> Uh, it, would, it would have to be like a barbecue place, a steak place. Look, I would be so dumb. I would sell myself short. I wouldn't even know how to how market myself. But um, I know one thing, you know, it's funny because, you know, we're getting ready to go to this SEC media days. And, you know, back in the day, in, in 1990, you know, I kind of stood out at the SEC media days. I just kind of said that. And it was a great experience. If I had that media days today, I'd have made so much money on and I had different things or who knows what would happen. I don't even, I don't even want to think about it, but, uh, you know, I, I think about all those NFL players that had to take jobs in the off season, sacrifice their bodies with terrible health care and all that playing the NFL, you know, and I, these guys that make all this money now and they're thinking, good God, it's unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, Hey, I'm happy for guys to be able to, to, uh, you know, I, I like the NIL, like Saban talked about it is that, you, you create value for yourself at the school, and then that should help you, right? I don't think it should be given to recruits or an enticement to come to a school or whatever. I have some of them are using it. I think that if you do create value for yourself, it, I think you should be able to profit off it. I, I mean, I'd love to have some date money besides the money my mom and dad gave me because obviously my dad didn't expect me to go on really fancy dates because I got about $50 a month, so... You you would have uh, made tons of money because you would have been the the social influencer from yep. Alabama with uh, that, that's true. the I big didn't punch think about that. Yeah. yeah, you would, yeah. Roger. Uh, it's been too long since we've done this. I promise you, it's not. I'm not going to wait that long again. We'll do it again before football season. Thank yeah, you so much. It's been for your great. Time. Thank you, Roger. All right, guys. Y'all take care. Thank you. I told you. You did. Oh, what an interesting guy. And we didn't even get to half of the stories that he and I had on the road. We traveled for a couple of years with the Birmingham Steel Dogs Arena Football League team. Man, we went to some little bitty cities and stayed in some pretty interesting places. And I'll tell you one thing we did. We ate. <laughs> it's going to be the case with Roger. All right. Uh, hey, uh... On the radar now, uh, an interesting story, particularly with social media. Brandon Miller, has he aggravated all these people? We'll talk about it in a minute. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 23037. A Town Square Media Station. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
we go. Hour number two, Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. I think Lars just texted me. He's fascinated by this sub. Intrigued and scary is the story about this missing sub who was was intended to go down and uh, search among the ruins of the Titanic. But uh, news continues. And Lars, do you have an update? Because uh, I... I think the the intrigue of this story is that we can all imagine being cramped up, uh, and we ha- all have been, in, in total darkness, and it just scares the you-know-what out of me, and I can't imagine what these people are, are going through. What have, what have you got? Yeah, so um, the Coast Guard said uh, earlier today, uh, uh, and just about, probably about an hour ago, that it's bringing in more ships and underwater vessels to search for uh, the missing sub in the North Atlantic. Uh, But the good news is that they detected underwater sounds, including uh, banging noises. So that provides a little hope after uh, three three days after the Titan, the name of the sub, uh, disappeared while bringing five people down to the wreck of the Titanic. The problem, the the issue is the exact location and source of the sounds is not yet determined, but it's allowed the searchers to to focus on a more narrowly um, defined area. But that area, um, it's still pretty big. But originally it was uh, the, the full scope of the search was twice the size of Connecticut, two and a half miles deep. All right, but now they're a little more focused in than two Connecticut's, uh, and being that deep. Um, but you know, there's big obstacles that remain. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's probably about a day's worth of oxygen supply, um, and uh, it's right now the the area of the North Atlantic where this uh, where the sub went down went missing is prone to fog and prone to really stormy conditions, which is going to make for, if they do locate the sub, it's gonna make for a very difficult search and rescue mission. Um, and so uh, it was, uh, It was. It, it's, it's crazy, but it was actually Canadian military uh, surveillance aircraft that detected the underwater noises really? in the area. Yeah. And um, they sent a robotic vessel down to scour the region, but so far they haven't found anything. And the Coast Guard did not elaborate on what they believe the noises could be. Um, and uh, it's uh, they're just sending, again, more ships out there. And, uh, and, and, and what the, the, the Coast Guard... They, they were kind of forced to make this statement about the uh, the about detecting sounds underwater because Rolling Stone of all places they they have a reporter on the ground or somebody who's really well plugged in he reported that search teams heard quote banging sounds in the area every 30 minutes and according to experts um, when submarine crews are unable to communicate with the surface, they're taught to bang on their submersibles hull 
to be detected so it can be detected by sonar right and it sends a message that they're using like military techniques to say hey help help me find me this is this is what i'm saying like this is we need help it's sort of like an sos call right in morse code when you are uh when you're banging on the the hole uh you know certainly you or i wouldn't know to do that um and uh but man it's just i i don't know here's the big question matt um how can a team reach a lost sub which could be as deep as 12,500 feet below the surface of the water and and probably somewhat close to the historic ocean liner the Titanic um and there's also just newly uncovered allegations that have to do with people who got the uh, sub ready that suggest these allegations suggest that there had been warning signs that the vessel wasn't safety or I'm sorry, wasn't safe during its um, uh, development. And uh, as uh, as I understand it, the uh, uh, the people on board are the pilot, uh, his name's uh, Stockton Rush. Uh, and he's the CEO of the company leading the expedition. And then the passengers are a British adventurer, uh, two members of a Pakistani business family and a Titanic expert. And, uh, and it's, they're all uh, men, it's five men that look to be, I don't know, range in age from you know 20 to maybe 60. And, um, it's just, uh, you know, you said it best. It, it is a harrowing, scary story. And to think that you uh, are just in, in utter darkness that deep below the surface, 12,500 feet potentially, I, I just, I don't see how you could pull this off. But I'm no, I'm no expert. I just don't see how you could pull this off. Well, you know, and if they do find it, and certainly hope and pray that they do, um, how quickly can you bring it up? Uh, yeah. Can you get them uh, oxygen 12,000 feet below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean? I mean, um, let's fo- first of all, I think there is hope with the fact that they're hearing the sounds. Uh, now I guess they just have to narrow their scope and more and more and more, and hopefully they find it because they are flat out running out of oxygen. But um, I think it's a worthwhile topic, Lars, and if something yeah. happens, uh, we will certainly let you know on this show because uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. It's gut-wrenching. Uh, you just, you know, <laughs> you want to pray for them to come out, you know, like an astronaut coming out of the, uh, you know, out of the module and everybody's cheering and going crazy. You just hope that something like that happens to these people because I think it has captivated not just America, but I think it's captivated and, most parts of the world. Yeah, and um, Chris Brown, who is a British adventurer, and he paid a deposit to go on this Titan voyage, but he withdrew because he was aware of the safety concerns. 
he uh, told reporters that the that the fact that the searchers have heard sounds is both good and bad news. And he said, "If and this is a quote, if the sounds are coming from below the water, um, for, are, come from below the water indicator, then that indicates that they may be alive in the water." But now we've got time pressures in getting them up to the surface. So that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Because you, you can't go from 12,500 feet, I'm assuming, Matt, and just um, go straight up, we right? We that in like sixth grade science. I mean, it's Didn't the, it, what they call the, it, the, bends? the bends, the bends, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, uh, the sub has seven backup systems to get back to the surface, including sandbags and lead pipes that drop off, right, really? to reduce weight. And then there's a, they have an inflatable balloon, but none of that has been activated. And uh, it's uh, certainly, it, it's being, uh, so if it, the, the sub they're assuming has no power. So that means the passengers are in complete darkness and it's really, really cold. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so they, the passengers would have, uh, you know, multiple layers on, uh, wool hats, and just doing everything to stay warm at the bottom of the ocean. And uh, the temperature is uh, most likely just above freezing. And obviously, the vessel's too deep for human divers to get to. Uh, the the best chance to reach the sub is going to be to most likely use a remotely operated robot on a fiber optic cable, uh, and uh, and just uh, you know one final quote from a professor of uh, environmental sciences at Syracuse. Uh, his name's Jeff Carson. He said, quote, I'm sure it is horrible down there. It's like being in a snow cave and hypothermia is a real danger. So it's uh, it, it's scary stuff. And certainly we're, we're thinking about those five souls on, on board and, and really hoping for the best. The horror just uh, every time I think about, you know, what they're going through, I, I just my arms pull in and I, I just get. You know, I get a sick feeling. I, I, I truly do. And um, let's hope that it all ends up uh, with five people coming to, uh, you know, breathing oxygen above the Atlantic. And it's really, it's, it's become, a, it's become the biggest story in the world. Yep. Right. I mean, you got people in, you have a, you have a, a political figures in, in Dubai and Pakistan and, in China, in France, uh, all throughout Europe, throughout Asia, uh, everybody wants to help, and everybody's trying to, you know, figure out: Do we have any modern technology that could that could help solve this or help help with the rescue effort? And uh, the the problem is that the clock is really ticking, Matt. Yeah, that's that's the deal. Uh, before we go to break, I teased at the top of the hour. Brandon Miller and Sepp Shirey, our producer, is the one that brought this story to our attention. Can you can you quickly brief us on on why <laughs> the social media world is angry at the former Alabama All American? Yeah, of course it's uh, it's kind of blowing up uh, this early afternoon, but uh, basically in pre-draft uh, interviews, 
a reporter asked Brandon Miller basically the age-old question, you know, LeBron or MJ, and Brandon essentially said, neither. I don't think LeBron's the greatest basketball player of all time. I, I think Paul George is the greatest basketball player of all time to me, uh, which, of course, if you know Brandon Miller, he models his whole game after Paul George. But uh, people are just kind of running with the Brandon Miller said LeBron is not the best basketball player of all time. He said Paul George is. And uh, so, yeah, he's catching a lot of attention, a lot of heat right now uh, on social media from people basically seeing that headline. I don't think everyone watched the full interview, though. That's usually the case. And then the reporter's going to pull out and pull it out of context sometime. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I do know this, and we will all agree that it is a slow, slow day in the world of sports when that's your headline, right? Uh, it yeah. Just, it, it just it it, it reeks of uh, somebody starving for clicks, is what I think. All right. Uh, I like I like the fact that he's thinking outside the box. <laughs> he, t- he told everybody who was pattering his game after. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Nothing. Uh, nothing. nothing yeah, anyone who knows Brandon, yeah, it's that that would have been his answer a year ago. Hey, Good I say, point, Seth. I say Chris Mullen is the greatest player of all time. That's because so you shoot my, like him. That's right. You I modeled myself. Just like I wish I was left-handed. Oh, uh, man, he could bomb it. Yep. Um, hey, Tom Stipe, who everybody's familiar with, the longtime producer of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, also works the U.S. Open. He was LA at LACC, say that three times, this past weekend. He's going to join us and converse and drop his wisdom on us coming up on Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Experience counts, especially in real estate. The Chuck Norwood team at Remax of Gulf Shores has been serving the Alabama Gulf Coast for over 30 years. Whether you're buying or selling, let the Chuck Norwood team go to work for you. Search all current Alabama Gulf Coast listings at chucknorwood.com. Remax and the Chuck Norwood team are proud supporters of the Crimson Tide. Probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz and Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Terrible clouds this afternoon. Scattered clouds will become more possible today. Come behind your 81. The storms will diminish this evening. They'll be gone after midnight. Otherwise, mostly cloudy with a low of 66. And then for tomorrow, mix of clouds and some sunshine. Scattered afternoon and evening showers and storms again with a high of 82. Not a meteorologist, Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 83 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home, Union Home Mortgage, Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson 
And you know, the one of the beautiful things about having a radio show like this, Lars, is that occasionally I can just pick up the phone and call all my friends, and we just talk on the radio. <laughs> we did it earlier with Roger Schultz, and now we welcome in producer of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, one and only Tom Stipe. Tom, Matt, and Lars, it's been too long. How are you? Hey, guys, it has been too long, and I wouldn't have minded talking to uh, Roger myself. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. But, we just uh, need to put us all on a round table and let it fly. Would you guys agree that in life, particularly when we get to our age, we just need a win or two every now and then? We need a, we need a victory? Well, I've <laughs> yes. had mine today. Uh, in the, uh, the mad dash to get to my driveway before your break ended so I could do this show without driving and many years of being on the other end of this. I've never actually had a guest that had a wreck uh, while on the air, and I didn't want to be the first one. So, <laughs> so that's a win? Chocolate up for me. If you, if, you, if you hear a siren, it's because I probably uh, broke a speed limit or two getting here. <laughs> well, uh, we appreciate all of the... Uh care that you're putting into this interview tom that's uh puts us in well yeah I, the intense the intense preparation uh that goes into this um, <laughs> yeah i said and the yes, massive scrutiny yeah and the massive scrutiny that lars and matt are going to throw at you here <laughs> uh, the tough well, i'm sure you guys poured over this uh in preparation uh, Hey, if you tom. did talking to roger made you forget it anyway oh, yeah, hey he lars sorry, you sorry to <laughs> Sorry to go old school with Matt, but uh, oh, we do no, go way back. Oh, we go back to 80, I think, 80, 81, something like that, when we were at the 15th Street School of Broadcasting, better known as Burt Bank uh, Radio Incorporated. Uh, tell everybody, Tom, how and how long and what you do with the U.S. Open. How is anybody's guess? Um, just blind luck. But um, I don't know. I've, I've been doing the U.S. Open since Tiger Woods lapped the field at Pebble, which yeah. I think was 2000, mm-hmm. maybe, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I, did not, I did not do the U.S. Open. I've done them at Beth Page, but I did not do the one that was immediately following 9-11 because what I do involves work with foreign broadcasters, and frankly, there weren't any. Um, and everything was different. Although it's a it's a, a a related subject, I did work the Super Bowl right after 9/11, which was odd. That's another show, though. But uh, but very cool. Um, but essentially, what I do is uh, world feed um, in this country. When you sat down on Father's Day and enjoyed the U.S. Open on Sunday, you watched on NBC. Uh, NBC is one of our sources for a show that is produced and uh, uh, for the rest of the world and is owned by the USGA, which grants domestic rights to uh, NBC. And that show is produced uh, for the rest of the world. We have our own play-by-play in color. We have, uh, but we also have, if you've seen the shots of... Um, the Super Bowl, where they show the gratuitous, uh, here are all the broadcasters from all the different countries. We have mm-hmm. that kind of thing at most major sporting events. So I had uh, ESPN Deportes. I had Canal Plus uh, France. I had, get this for the name of a network, Movie Star Spain. How about that? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of making sure Spanish gets to Spain and French gets to France and uh, 
the rest of the world sees the uh, quote world show, which is more of a generic world show. But um, I don't know. I I love golf. It doesn't love me back, but I do somehow manage to keep this gig. And uh, I've been doing it now for a long time. And most of the crew is sort of like me. We all kind of come together to do this show. And um, it's kind of old home week. And we're all happy to get there. And we're all happy to be gone when it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like every event I've ever covered. Excited to be there. (laughs) So happy to leave. Um, Okay, so uh, two questions for you. Number one, has there been like a worst case scenario for you when everything is just sort of uh, operating not the way it should and you got to figure it out really fast? And then a separate question is what did people uh, in the business just think of the track uh, at, at Los Angeles Country Club? Did, did they think it was a place that really uh, should be hosting an open, should not be? There was a lot of criticism early, obviously because of the high scores, but the, the course kind of came back and won the last two days. But I'd just be interested to hear those two things. One, if uh, if you ever had just everything go haywire on you, and then two, what uh, the general consensus was uh, about the course. Well, there's uh, there's an old expression that applies here: how the sausage is made. Um, Matt knows me pretty well. Something goes haywire every day, uh, whether it's a Bama show or a tennis show or a golf show. Uh, but yes, that has happened. Uh, the times when you sort of scratch your head and go, what am I missing? I got to be missing something. I got to be missing something. You idiot, this is it. And you fix it and you move on. Uh, but thankfully, uh, very, very few of those moments uh, make it to air. Uh, you know, we've, we've lost power multiple times in football and basketball venues over the years. This is not a golf answer, but it's a, it's a Bama answer. And that's always a little puzzling, uh, but but you know you have backups in place, and you know these days we have a great backup. It's a cell phone, so every now and then you'll hear Eli or Chris Stewart call a game on a freaking cell phone for a minute or two, and that's because the sausage is being made. Uh, as far as LA Country Club, that that's a good question, uh, as I would expect from you, Lars. Uh, the uh, the track played nothing like a U.S. Open golf course on Thursday. Uh, You know, you don't expect to see eight unders. You don't expect to see 62s. You know, there's been one other time in U.S. Open history, I think, that somebody shot a 62, and we had two of them on Thursday. But uh, the golf course did come back. Uh, It is, uh, you you heard a lot of talk about marine layer, essentially fog and marine layer softens up the golf course the golf course sticks uh you know guys can shoot at pins all of that stuff is true but that's pretty predictable and i think that uh, anybody that claims they don't expect a marine layer in los angeles in june is kidding themselves um i didn't hear that much criticism because at the end of the day the golf course did come back it did win and it was a tough track on sunday like it's supposed to be um they all kind of run together for me, but we've had a few that were far more roundly criticized. I think, uh, which one was the one in, uh, Washington state? Was that Chalmers Bay? Yes. Yes. It was, it was criticized, uh, 
as being sort of a thrown together golf course that was designed to try to host the U.S. Open. Erin Hills in Milwaukee was criticized in my circles for being in the middle of freaking nowhere. And <laughs> it's funny you say that because those are of my media friends who cover golf, like Alan Shipnuck, uh, day in and day out. Those are the right. two U.S. Opens that he's complained the most about that you just mentioned. Well, and I remember at Shinnecock, not this past time, but the time before Phil Mickelson, or there was a Colin Montgomery, Phil Mickelson meltdown because it they kind of lost the greens. Really that same thing that we experienced in L.A. when it's dry, they're fast, when it's wet, it's slow. Uh, I, I, there was a lot of criticism of Shinnecock at that point in time by a couple of players who just happened to put up high numbers. Yeah, it's like my wife, the faculty member. You know, the kids that work hard and make good grades, we really don't ever complain about you. <laughs> it's the ones that don't want to do anything. But um, it's uh, it's 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 kind of like that. You know, you don't. Uh, who was it? Somebody this week did not play well and roundly criticized the golf course, and I forget who it was. You might remember. Um, yeah. But but still, it, typically the guys that shoot you know low numbers don't don't uh, complain about it. But I thought overall it was kind of a um, a look behind the curtains at a golf course that golf nerds have heard about forever. You know this this was a little bit of the classic American golf course, which for me. It, a U.S. Open needs to be on Pinehurst or Marion or Pebble or Torrey or one of those places. And um, by the way, I think it was, it was Brooks Brooks Kepka was pretty. You're uh, right. Vocal. He was a big shot. Yeah, Brooks Kepka yeah, did he, he not was, a fan. He was. Now, and um, you know, you could get stuck on um, Santa Monica Boulevard for a little too long and become not a fan real fast of this. <laughs> this was an odd setup. Uh, good Lord, the, the hoops we had to get through to even get to the golf course every day were okay. ridiculous. So I, I was thinking of that, right? I, I always, you know, because I've been there, so many different events where traffic is a nightmare, but traffic in Los Angeles, nightmare to begin with. So I was wondering, like, did they have you staying at a hotel that is almost like right next to property so you could walk or did, uh, did you have to deal with traffic? You know, you're applying logic to a situation where clearly <laughs> there is <laughs> no. Here, here's here's what we did. Here's what we did. We we left the hotel at seven a.m. Pacific time every morning, and we got in our respective rental cars, and we drove. You know, I guess I went to the golf course ten times, and we went ten different ways to get to including past the golf course to our parking lot where we got on a bus and then bust in. And the bus probably went 10 different ways to get to our entrance, which was <laughs> literally off of freaking Santa Monica Boulevard. I mean, we, oh we basically stopped and failed. It was a cluster, uh, to use the term. Uh, and it's, it's not always like that, but we've had a few, like Wingfoot is in the middle of a really, really nice old school neighborhood where Rick Patino used to, I don't know if he's moved or not, live. Uh, we've been there a few times. But then Pinehurst is literally in the middle of not much anything. So uh, it's all different. But yeah, the, the, 
I thought, like you, Lars, that having the having the open in Los Angeles was going to be a logistical challenge uh, because, uh, for one thing, there's not a lot of extra real estate in uh, Westwood, Beverly <laughs> Hills, and that real estate that is there is uh, about a, about a billion dollars a footstep. So, uh, but you know, there were two courses, and our podcast compound was literally on the fairway uh, of the other course. So that part of it wasn't as bad as I thought. But getting there was a whole other deal. And we stayed in Hollywood. And anybody that's been in L.A. knows that getting from L.A. to Beverly, or from Hollywood to Beverly Hills is... Nightmare. Is not, it's not yeah. next door. <laughs> no. I think no. I heard one of the broadcasters say that that real estate would be roughly worth $8 billion. That's B. Wow. Yeah. Billion. Absolutely. Well... You know, Lionel Richie's house was on one of the. I want to talk about. about let's, yeah. Can we talk about you Lionel think, Richie's clubhouse on the other side of the break? Yeah. We hang with this time. You know, the thing that was the thing that was so disappointing to me is here I am, an Alabama guy. I got no invitation, no hang, no nothing. Oh, really? So I just slept <laughs> from Hollywood. Yeah, stunning development. Heck, yeah, we played his records, Matt. What what, what sure, what's up with that? I Q burned many of his songs and the it, Commodores it, too. I did, his, his guest, his put, guest house is bigger than band. all of our houses combined. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Tom, you got to hang for a yeah. break with me? All right. Absolutely. He knows the drill. Uh, Tom Stipe is our guest on Big Noon Sports. Back in a flash. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. You've probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz and Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. It's DanielMoreArt.com. Celebrate that special Alabama fan in your life right now with the Coach Stallings Portrait Limited Editions featuring some of those great players in that era under Coach Stallings. Help us remember those great moments of Alabama Crimson Tide history. DanielMoreArt.com. DanielMoreArt.com. Remember the code word THE GAME. Get you a significant discount. THE GAME. DanielMoreArt.com. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Tom Stipe. This show is being brought to you, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Uh, you couldn't help but notice 
uh, several of the homes, but one more so than any others. Because I, I actually thought, you know, if I didn't know that the clubhouse was white and had kind of a colonial look to it, I would have thought it was the clubhouse. But, in fact, they pointed it out on television that, uh, that in fact, one of the structures, mammoth homes that I saw, was Lionel Richie. Tuskegee, Commodores, we know the story. So, Tom, uh did you yes, stay? Sir. Did you did you stay uh, with Lionel? No, you said he dissed you. Uh, so my real question is: Was there a, a Lionel Richie sighting? And other than the golfers, did you happen to run into anybody or see anybody of note? Oh Lord, no! Not in the not in the uh, the areas of the uh, of the course that I was in. But uh, no, Lionel completely dissed me, and uh, I think he did what. Uh, most of the residents of Augusta do at Masters Week. He probably rented out his crib for, you know, several uh, several dollars and uh, got out of town. Uh, but uh, no, I was, I was actually wondering if uh, uh, Miss Sansing would uh, like to have the mortgage on that place. That'd probably be pretty good. <laughs> set, set for life. Yeah, yeah, kinda, this is kind of cool. I've heard Stewart on the air. I've heard Span. And I know, uh, I know uh, Haley. So there you go. It's uh, it's All old right. home here, and I got you guys. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, uh, of Chris Stewart, what's it been like? Uh, just you know, I know we're all friends with Chris. Uh, just what's it been like for you to kind of go through the journey that, that Chris has been through with his uh, health issues and and now uh, just doing so wonderful behind the microphone? Well, Lars, to be perfectly honest with you, I went through the I went through the journey with God because a lot of prayers have been said for Chris Stewart and for Eli Gold and. Uh, we are nothing as a crew, if not dramatic, because the two of those guys have had significant health issues. And uh, thank God Chris is totally back to normal. And, uh, or if he's not, he's hiding it from me. And, uh, and Eli hopefully is well on the way. But it, it's, it's been, um, what was it like? Well, what it was like was having a really dear friend in trouble. And uh, I remember I don't remember if I called Brian or Brian called me, but we were talking about all of this literally the next day. And before the end of, you know, another day or two, we were both there. And Brian was there a lot more than me because he literally lives down the street. But but uh, it was tough because honestly, uh, you know, there were times that we weren't so sure. Uh, and it's tough enough to see somebody uh, that you work with in that situation, but when he's a friend, uh, that's even tougher. The same would apply to Eli. Um, and, um, you know, it, I, I kind of have an interesting spot here because, frankly, uh, every bone in my body uh, wants Eli Gold, whenever this is, to go out like the Hall of Famer that he is. Hopefully not now, but you know he deserves that he has uh, he he is a hall of famer for a good reason and the same by the same token i'm pulling for my buddy chris you know i've done more ball games with chris than i have eli even though i've done a million of them with both because there's more basketball but um 
you want Chris to ascend to the football job in a way without an asterisk. You know, you want Chris to get that job on the merits of Chris, not because Eli's sick, and be able to celebrate that. And um, so I'm kind of in the position of loving and pulling for both of my buddies here. But it is great that Chris is back, healthy, and um, as uh, uh, as crazy as he's ever been and, as, and such a talented guy. And um, Eli is working really, really hard to get there, too. I can tell you that. Tom, can you give me one of your favorite moments broadcast, uh, as the broadcast goes? Not, uh, you know... Oh, which one will we go through? Not George Teague, uh, Langham's pick. Uh, not a football play as much as a really great broad. You know what I mean? When you just nail a broadcast and it's it it electrifies the entire booth and those listening as well. It. Um, I take uh, well. First of all, we nail a lot of them because. Uh, the guys that I work with are really good. Uh, Chris is, is as quick as any human being uh, I've ever known. Uh, and Eli is the Hall of Famer that he is. I mean, there is a star quality to the sound of his voice for good reason. Uh, and um, But from a, from a purely simple the nuts and bolts of broadcasting i sort of start out every show hoping not to screw something up uh, my bar is pretty low there uh, but you know there are times that um, i'm involved in preparing something for a special moment you know it's it's a misnomer that everything that is said comes off the top of Eli's head you know we write a lot of that stuff uh because you know the a call of a championship game, the winning moment, is something that you're going to hear for the rest of your life. I mean, I don't. I turn on the radio now and hear all this stuff, and uh, we do sit down and talk about it. We sit down and script. Okay, what are we going to say? And uh, I'm sort of like the songwriter behind the scenes. You know, Tim McGraw has the hit, and uh, there's a good reason for that, but. Uh, I take some pride in having something to do with what gets said. Um, a little bit with Chris, uh, a little bit with Eli. But when we just absolutely nail that, uh, I, that to me kind of gives me a little bit of a rush. I mean, I'm like you. You like doing a good show. Uh, there's nothing worse than being involved in something nobody cares about and nobody's listening to and doing a bad job and... Uh, we try to do the same thing for Georgia Southern that we do for Georgia, but um, you know, those are the moments to me when 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 we do something a little special and we plan it and it works. That's kind of cool. Wow, Tom, you just um, you just encapsulated and described perfectly what a good producer is, man. Wow, uh, because. It, it, you want to help, right? You, I mean, when it comes to uh, developing uh, ideas for potential uh, big lines that you're going to say, um, you definitely want, uh, you know, somebody to help you come up with that. 
I mean, I, I equate you to like a good editor, right? Uh, who Who is there to support me. And that's the way that you are there to support uh, Chris and Eli. And that's, uh, I, yeah, I, your reputation is, uh, you know, is, is good as it gets. There's a reason he does the U.S. Open. Yes. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he well, I, us I when we asked him about from, it. But. Yeah. Um, I appreciate I, that I, coming I, from someone who doesn't need editing. <laughs> um, Tom, what is, uh, what's your favorite road trip? to take uh, the, a town that you really enjoy visiting even if it's just been like one time right uh, up to uh, Happy Valley or or wherever it's been all across the United States if, if you had a, uh, a a town that you really enjoy uh, going and working and I know you don't get a lot of free time none of us do when we're on the road but uh, is, is there one place that, that sticks out to you? Well, as you well know, it's a decidedly unglamorous life that we lead compared <laughs> yes. to what people think we do. Uh, yes, we are not digging ditches, and yes, we're sitting on the 50-year courtside or what have you. But, you know, I like I like to think that this is going to be the cheesy old guy answer. But I like to think that um, I've gotten to a point where I appreciate everything about it. Um I think Nashville is a great city. Uh, I've always thought so. I think it is less great now than it used to be because people have discovered it and it's sort of turning into something else. But I've had a lot of fun in Nashville. And for me, since I sort of dabble in songwriting, it kind of knocks out a couple of things. I got friends up there. You know, I grew up in Knoxville. So I get a charge out of going into uh, Nayland Stadium and kick in some orange butt, which obviously didn't happen last year. But I have lots of friends that, you know, I see and and, and reach out to me more, more so last year, interestingly. Um, uh, so you know, those two cities, Baton Rouge, I love it because of the food. I'm, I'm an amateur chef. I obviously enjoy a good meal. Anybody with half a brain can tell that. And uh, I just absolutely love the culture and the food of Louisiana. I just do. And uh, so those are those are a few, but yeah, there, there's some special ones too. Large, you're right about Happy Valley. If you can't see the the beauty and the tradition of that with a whiteout, Lord have mercy. I was involved in a uh, this is a whole other story, but I was involved in a uh, series of documentary film type projects uh, years ago. Did some for Alabama. Uh, did one at Penn State with Keith Jackson. Um, and Keith and I did them together, uh, wrote them together, uh, had a blast, the opportunity to work with somebody like him. And coincidentally, the first time I visited the Los Angeles Country Club was to have lunch with him. He's a member, I was. And uh, I had to think about that, talk about a supreme name drop there. But, you know, we, we worked together a few times and, and it's kind of a, a cool thing to be able to say you work with multiple Hall of Famers, but I have. But um, I like to think, you know, every every place is special to them. And if you look at it that way, uh, it's easy to sort of feel like it's a grind sometimes. You've been there. You know, Tuesday night in Starkville is Tuesday night in Starkville. But <laughs> if you appreciate what they appreciate a little bit, it's kind of cool. You know, I get annoyed at the cowbells but I love 
I love it when we go over there and win. But uh, just the whole beauty of this and how sports is such a connecting place to people. Uh, you know, we may not be those people, but they are, and they love it. And you can appreciate some beauty of that. Uh, there are a couple of broadcast booths I'd rather not walk in again, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> Whoa! Sometimes they, sometimes they work against you, boys. <laughs> yes. Oh, and sometimes it's just downright intentional. <laughs> but we're not going to go there. Whoa, Nelly, Tom Stipe. <laughs> Wait a, if you're going to drop a name, drop a Keith Jackson on us. Hey, this there has been... Is never, Lars, you should appreciate this. There has never been a human being behind the microphone that paints a picture, painted a picture, uh, and told a story that way any better. And Keith always cautioned me, uh, hey, hold off sometimes on the scores, the breaks, and all that. You know, let us you know, be sure to tell the story. And I've always remembered that. And he's right. He's absolutely right. You know what? I've just come up with something in this conversation. Uh, I've always believed that there is a huge correlation between literary writing and music and and the ability to write lyrics. And uh, because uh, what you do with your music is so uh, lyrical and uh and and poetic and so i need what i need is a editor like you to uh i'm in to, i'm in all right okay that'd be, a, yes, that'd be another hall of famer i'm in <laughs> <laughs> hey great no, stuff I'm, tom yeah this is great we got to get you back on tom thank you so much any any time guys i enjoy okay. it more than you guys you, you can get back in your car now <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know anything about these blue lights back here? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't have an accident. Thank you, Tom Stein. Right. Bye. See you guys. Bye. And I will say this as we go into the break. That, uh, I was going to ask him. We just ran out of time. Having been on the air before he became a Hall of Fame producer, that helps. Trust me. We'll be back with more Big Noon Sports in just a moment. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. You've probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Mizzen and Main. And if you haven't tried the Mizzen and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. It's Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Terrible clouds this afternoon. Scattered showers are going to be possible today. Come on, you're 81. The storms will diminish this evening. They'll be gone after midnight. Otherwise, mostly cloudy with a low of 66. And then for tomorrow, mix of clouds and some sunshine. Scattered afternoon and evening showers are going to begin with a high of 82. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 81 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, 
Sepchari, thank you. Excellent job, as always, at Tide 100.9, our flagship station. And uh, Lars Anderson and Matt Coulter here with you on what has, you know, it's been kind of a slow sports day, but I think we beefed it up okay. We had two terrific guests and, and Roger Schultz and Tom Stipe, and I really, really enjoyed that, and I know you did too, Lars. Because there's Absolute. really nothing else going on. The college no, baseball I'm... World Series is going on, but and I'm not poo-pooing that, but uh, it's a slow day, man. It is. It is. Uh, I think Wake Forest is going to win the college world college baseball world series but we'll we'll see um so i wanted to kind of keep the discussion going about what we're talking about with tom and that was uh favorite places to go cover an event and experience the city and i wanted to ask you that same question matt i mean you've been all across not just the south but all, all across the united states all across the world uh do you have one or two or three favorites that you like to go visit and where when you're covering an event and again i i know that that uh, especially on the broadcast side uh you don't have a lot of free time and 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 writers don't either so it, it's mostly just your hustle you get in you're hustling you're going to the hotel crashing getting back to wherever you need to be hustling to get uh your work done and then essentially next day you're on a plane flying back to birmingham or traveling back to birmingham so i i know that there's usually not a ton of time but what, what what are your maybe top three places that you'd like to go? Well, I'm going to lay one on you, mainly uh, because it's true, but also because it's probably not one that people would put front of mind. But, man, I love Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it's got so much history. I would go to Graceland. I'd go to Beale. Uh, went to the Flying Saucer. They got great ribs and great food. Um and it's just great music. Let me let me throw that one in there. So uh, I would say Memphis. Uh, I always like. I used to like trips that involved New Orleans. I don't think I'd set foot in it now. Go to Baton Rouge. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, gee, uh, I tell you another city that it's not going to surprise anybody that I really really enjoyed was Chicago. A uh, lot of culture there. A uh, lot of great places to eat. Um, but, you know, th- there's a couple for you. What about you? Yeah, Chicago is always fun. Um, uh, I've always enjoyed, you know, I really had a good time uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, You're where you were born. My birthplace, uh, baby. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a really nice time because I wasn't expecting it to be a really cool college town and uh and it was and everyone there was uh so terrific but uh just like you know going around the country uh i I enjoy going to phoenix uh just because i I have family out there and it's pretty easy to get around because it's like one big grid uh you know you just got to deal with the heat a little bit uh seattle is fun portland is fun um uh boston boston is like dangerous though <laughs> i've always you know like if, if you're gonna go to uh if you're gonna do a late night in boston have a buddy with you <laughs> i'll my... tell you one thing when i went and we were uh i was taking a cab from the airport to uh our hotel 
And, you know, you're going on these interstates that are like, what, 10 lanes wide? Yeah. And everybody's going, uh, the, the people in Boston can't drive. They don't know how to, and they don't care. But I no. ended up sitting in the middle of the back seat because I was afraid we were going hit, to get hit on each door. <laughs> it was just so crazy. Yeah. And um, but, you, Did you go under the top? You know the big yes. dig. You're familiar yes. with the big yeah. dig. Uh, that right. was just scary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but... I liked it, man, because, uh, of course, the, the history of Boston kind of goes without saying. But I also found a couple of places we ate, and I wish I could remember the names of them. But um, I remember I ordered uh, some tea, and they brought me uh, a cup of hot water and a tea bag. And I went, no, this, that, that's not tea. That's, <laughs> I you, need uh, iced tea. Did you have the, the clam chowder? In yep. Boston, oh, and gosh. I've had it's, the crab cakes in Baltimore, and they're yes. just oh, yes, be. yes, yes. The crab cakes on on the uh, bay there in Baltimore. Oh, now, this so just good. sounds like a love fest on places we've been. Yeah, so but, I'll, but I'll say this. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say this that um, it's always my favorite part of every trip is being on the plane coming home and getting home. Because uh, once you have just spent all those years on the road, that's all you want to do is be home. And uh, I know you feel the same way. More like so when you uh, start having kids, you know. Then, yeah. Then you really, yeah. then it makes you really, really want to come home a lot faster. Uh, yep. Uh, good topic, though. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, and, and, and great show. Uh, it, it was uh, real interesting uh, talking to both our guests. And uh, and also our discussion about um, uh, about uh, uh, Dylan Rayola uh, transferring out to Georgia uh, for his high school career. I think that means that Rayola is pretty much locked into Georgia and is not going to be entering or is not going to withdraw his commitment. And uh, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does at, at Buford High School. Uh, you and, know, um, that's a great point you just made. I, <laughs> I guess it kind of goes without saying, as I just said a minute ago. But um, if you go pick up your family or pick up yourself and move, what do you think it is? Two thousand miles? Uh, yeah, at least to a different country. Five hundred. Yeah, we call the South. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wonder, uh, I'd like to talk to him in a year to see what he thinks about it. So you know what? I'll bet good money. I'll bet some NIL on this. He won't leave. He will not leave. Once you get to the South, you figure out what we've known for many, many years is we got it going on. Um, all right, Sep, thank you. Lars, thank you. Um, tomorrow, I want to get to a topic, and you can do some homework. I want everybody to do some homework on this. Sports records that will never be broken. You know, you talked about it before. But think about it, and uh, we'll, we'll open up the phones tomorrow. Lars, have a great day. Sep, thank you. You've been listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. What's up? It's a target.